Hi and welcome to another episode of Casted, our podcast here from IT University of Copenhagen. Our topic today is blockchain and related technologies such as the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. So I've been looking forward to and also dreading this conversation a bit because of the enormous hype surrounding in particular Bitcoin. So on a scale of 0 to 10, Bitcoin uh, easily is a solid 10 on the hype scale. It's everywhere in the media because of the enormous increase of value, increase in value of the currency. Now, normally we don't like hype that much here at Casted, where we try to be unapologetically academic and a bit dry and stuffy, but let me show you how the hype meter for blockchain goes all the way up to 11. So, Homo sapiens is a social creature, much like other animals, such as ants and bees and wolves and apes, and we are able to cooperate, cooperate between individuals based on mutual trust. So other social animals do that as well, and trust scales with uh, genetic distance. So, uh, for instance, bees are perfectly able to, or ants are perfectly able to cooperate because they're all clones of each other, and also humans and small tribes uh, are able to trust each other and therefore cooperate because we are all related and extended families. Now, with the emergence of culture, language, gods, institutions, nations, states, ideologies, the scientific method and so on, we have found substrates that allow us to scale up trust into much larger units than the tribe. This has led to dramatic improvements in the human condition. We are now completely dominating our environment and of course the technology by which you consume this conversation is also entirely based on various units of trust, in particular here the scientific method and value chains of technology based on capitalism and international banking. There's also a downside to this, of course. So, uh, Cultural institutions such as religions or gods allowed a thousand years ago European noblemen to, noblemen to, bend, to band together. Uh, normally they would be at each other's throats, but they could agree on uniting and uh, traveling to the Middle East and slaughter the Saracens down there. So trust is enormously important. It's a fantastic substrate for cooperation, but uh, as soon as you're outside of that trust bubble, uh, terrible things happen. Now, the promise of blockchain technology is to extend this substrate of trust outside of the constraints of trusted institutions. So this then would be a cultural breakthrough that allows us to scale up trust, social trust, to the global scale, to make trust a species-wide issue. Now how's that for hype? The meter goes all the way up to 11 or 12 maybe. So the blockchain allows us to no longer trust in religions be they gods or maybe also the gods that currently are the directors of international banks. So the blockchain is some kind of twilight of the gods, since we're in Denmark here it's the Ragnarok, or since I'm having a conversation with somebody who shares with me German as the first language, it's the Götterdämmerung. So my guest today is Professor Dr. Roman Beck, who's a professor of ITU and also heads the European Centre for Blockchain Technology. The European Blockchain Centre, correct. European Blockchain Centre, very much. Thank you very much. Roman, welcome to Casted. Thank you for having me. It's a fantastic opportunity to talk about my favorite topic, blockchain and distributed ledger technologies. Mm. Um, it is, as you said, a, a hype topic, but it's also kind of substantiated by some really important facts and uh, features which truly change how we interact, how transactions are executed, and ultimately how we trust each other or the role of trust in organization and interpersonal relationships. If we, if we continue talking about trust and the notion of trust, then of course it is a very important area um, as trust has been central since the Stone Age, since, since we came out of the caves. So it is something which is deeply rooted and, as you mentioned, uh, it has something to do with religion. So is technology becoming our new religion, right? So do we trust and believe in technology? Um, that is one of the debates we have right now about blockchain, spe specifically because if we talk about um, blockchain as uh, the trust machine, as the economist did, or that tr uh, blockchain is taking care of the need of trust or the lack of trust in, in transactions so that we don't have to care about trust anymore, 
probably is an over-exaggeration of what blockchain can do to us or can help us with. But truly, blockchain is doing something to the antecedents of trust. It uh, takes care of uncertainty. Take, it, it, it provides uh, transparency. So right now, if you look into an international transaction and you do outsourcing to India, software development to a company over there, uh, you have to trust that they do their very best in order to, to fulfill the requirements, to kind of uh, program the software as, as specified. But ultimately, you do not really know what they are doing. You can't see it, right? So, and on the other side, the service provider is trying to radiate trust by being sp uh, having certifications, um, uh, uh, ISO standardization requirements are fulfilled, and so on, in order to radiate something which is called swift trust. You never have done any business with these companies before, but they have uh, labels, they have kind of certificates, uh, they are providing kind of a record of previous customers. All these things are proxies which should radiate trust in the absence of having done anything directly beforehand with them. So all these are institutions. They are institutions which help us to overcome the lack of trust or the lack of having any kind of previous transactions done together. Um, right, right, right. Because so, so, and we have these institutions already, right? Mm -hmm. so, so normally they help us, as you say, uh, uh, in the first round of an interaction. Right? After I've interacted with somebody else, I'm able yes. to build up a better and better model of, of how or she will, 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 will use. But that, that is, of course, a, um, a barrier to the first interaction. So, so these ex existing bodies of, of uh, international cooperation, like the ISO standard, so, so, but they all already exist. So what's new here? They, they all, all already exist. And if you look into economic theory, kind of institutions are powerful uh, agents in order to facilitate economic transactions. Uh, one of the most powerful agents you may think of are central banks. If you look into the financial services industry, what uh, is that word? Central banks. Central banks. Central banks. Sorry. Yes. Mm -hmm. Central banks. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is a very powerful institution and an agent in, in in the economy, and the central bank is acting as a lender of last resort. Right. So if if the financial system is kind of getting in troubled waters, the central bank takes care of it. So these are banks outside of the national bank systems. No, central banks are national banks. They are national like banks. Like the European okay. Central Bank. Oh, but that's not a nation. Okay, the European Central an Bank is an agent. It's an Thank agent. Thank you very much for reasoning about this. It's an, it's an agent mm -hmm. in this economic uh, game, right? And we trust that if, if the economy is getting into troubled, troubled uh, situations, kind of it's, uh, in, in, into heavy, heavy waters, that the uh, European Central Bank or any other central bank is acting in our best interest and is protecting the value and stability of the currency. So that is an agent mm -hmm. which is kind of facilitating the financial transactions and has among other uh, functions also the role of making sure that there is enough liquidity in the market so that there is enough fiat money, money which we perceive as real money or the money we have in our wallet, that there is enough kind of uh, money in, in circulation for investment and for, for using it on a daily basis. So is it helpful to understand money here or do we just... It is actually helpful okay. to understand money because uh, most people may uh, think of blockchain in, in, in its very kind of first appearance and that is Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies are kind of uh, uh, applications which are made possible by the blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. And now you may ask the question as I often hear, so what is the inner value of Bitcoin? And but that's an assumption that goes back to some kind of very early understanding of what money is, right? Right. So maybe we st should start with that, gold or seashells or... See, that's very interesting because people kind of question what is the inner value of Bitcoin, but it uh, actually raises a very uh, more fundamental question, namely what is the value of money? Yeah. Money is trust. Uh, I have uh, Malayan ringgit in my wallet because I've been in Malaysia. If I would kind of try to pay here, People would say that's a nice kind of uh, printed piece of paper, but you can't buy anything here, right? So it's no valid currency here because it's just paper. So that's kind of the, the, the value which we have in the wallet is the value we, we uh, uh, others uh, are giving, it, giving to it. So I'm on thin ice here. So, so money is both a storage mechanism, something that mm -hmm. facilitates transactions, yes. 
and an investment opportunity or well it's kind of for, for saving kind of it's storing value using it for transactions and for speculation those mm -hmm. are typically the three mm -hmm. uh, areas where you mm -hmm. where you see kind of money is necessary and gold was a good idea because um, well it's it's yellow metal and we think it's rare right? it's if rare, there yes. would be an asteroid striking the the earth with which would be purely out of gold the rarity would gun be gone and you couldn't trade with somebody who lived on that asteroid because they yes. would think uh, gold we have seen that kind of the volatility of gold was quite high when the new world was discovered and oh. all the Inca gold oh, came to oh. Europe. Beautiful. So yes. and and uh, so that that oh, really so that must have been dramatic. There yeah, was a huge yes. influx of gold yeah. and suddenly the gold price dropped. Huh. So uh, if you look for analogies in the history, right? It's kind of common to, for example, right now compare uh, the Bitcoin and its volatility with the tulip mania in in uh, the Netherlands. Yes. That's also a nice bubble. Yeah. It's so nice yeah. It's why are tulips not a good? Um, why are tulips not a good currency? Maybe that's useful to understand. Well, yeah, well you know, kind of the, the 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 analogy is nice, but it not always kind of works to the very end. Uh, tulips is something which tulip bulbs are not limited. Everybody with a green thumb can actually raise uh, and and and, and uh, multiply tulip bulbs. So it's not rare. And second, uh, they have this disadvantage that they are perishable. So yes. they are really difficult to store. Nevertheless, it is an example for a hype where people kind of put a lot of money on the table to buy kind of very beautiful tulip bulbs. And maybe for those of our audience who are not completely enshrined in European history, we are back in the Baroque, I guess, in Flanders or the Netherlands. It's in the Netherlands in the yeah. 17th century, right? So the, the interesting thing is it's often used these days to compare the current hype around cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin and Ether, uh, and compared with the hysteria and with the mania around the tulip bulbs in the 17th century, uh, if you look into literature, kind of the tulip mania is not really well documented no. to start with. It's, but it's a great story. You're, it's you're a great the second story. guest on Casted that takes it up. So, it's, but it's but a great current, story. currency is normally the, the bubble that does not burst, right? You want basically currency to be storable, and yes. tulips, by the very nature, are not very storable. Right, it doesn't really kind of carry all the way to do this analogy to, to cryptocurrencies. Many believe that cryptocurrencies are not kind of uh, sustainable because they are not backed by any kind of national bank as a trusted agent. And that brings back the nature of the blockchain technology yeah. itself. Yeah. Namely that you do not need anymore these trusted third agencies to facilitate economic transactions. Yeah, I, I expect this, this entire conversation to, to be a lot about trust. Yes. But I also want us basically to get out of here with some kind of understanding of what's actually going on. But I, I, Bitcoin may actually be a, a good example. So, so let me try. So, so money in the beginning is just or it could be pebbles or seashells or some scarce resource like gold that we that carries its own what value? Am I using these words correctly? In order so I can buy something from from the other tribe, giving them gold, and then they give me the stuff back. Glass pearls, tokens that are commonly accepted as a medium to transfer property rights, ownership. Right, that's that's sort of the the, the, the common Good. understanding but this, of what money this is. This then went on for a while and was then replaced by paper that certainly was not worth. We got rid of itself. the gold standard, the Bretton Woods systems, uh, and we decided that you can't convert your dollar into gold uh, at the Federal Central Bank uh, in the States, and uh, have uh, have now a completely kind of paper-based, fiat money-based system. Uh, the, the common uh, understanding is, or what you learn as an economist, is that the purchase power of a currency is backed by the cross-domestic productivity of a country. And since currencies, except for the euro, are underwritten by countries, mm -hmm. this makes sense. Okay. Right. So, but mm -hmm. then again, kind of, um, if you take the euro and the European Central Bank, if Mario Draghi is deciding to lower the interbank interest rate, and suddenly the exchange rate of the euro uh, compared to the dollar is dropping, has in that very moment the cross-domestic productivity of the eurozone dropped? Mm, probably not, right? So there, there are more factors which uh, play a role in how much you can buy with the currency, mm -hmm. with, the, with the money in your wallet. Mm -hmm. So it is a trust-based and a belief-based system. Sure. Um, so uh, let, me, but let, let, me, let me stay there for a while because I'm, I'm, I'm not an economist. So from the paper-based system, which requires some kind of trust in a, in a what, the issuer of the token, that I, I trust that they actually say that this piece of paper is worth what is printed on it, and sometimes famously it's not when you have enormous inflation. Um, now today most people don't even handle the 
pieces of money anymore, the paper-based. We just have basically transcripts of a transaction having been taken place. Right. So when I give you money, there is even now um, something based on mobile phones. In Denmark, it's called Swish. I don't know how. It's mobile pay in Denmark. Mobile pay. There we go. So, and, and probably countries differ here, but most, many countries today have some kind of mobile pay where I can give you money without even handling a piece of paper. Yes. Uh, and basically this works by some central authority guaranteeing that if I give you a string of bits saying Tor gave Roman 10 kroners, then these 10 kroners have actually been transferred. And this is then rubber stamped by a bank or probably some yeah. group of well, banks. You, you can say that we have for a long time, we have cyber money or we have digital money, kind of every transaction, every transfer from one bank account to another is a digital transaction. So that's that's not the new part. The new part is the cryptocurrency part that you have a, a, an algorithm that you have a, a, a peer-to-peer network of computers who take care of making sure that there is no su- such thing such as double spending. So there seems to be two things in here. Now, one is the crypto and one is the distributed part. Mm-hmm. So can we disentangle these? So the money I have from mm-hmm. my bank uses crypto, probably, right? But it's not yeah. cryptocurrency. I certainly communicate with my bank yes. using uh, encryption technology, public key cryptography, yes. in order to authenticate myself toward yeah. to my bank. So I'm really the person who buys this house for this money. And the bank trusts me and I trust the bank that the bank so so we use crypto for authentication yes. and probably also to make the transaction secret to a third party listener I'm quite sure we use it both for encryption and for, for, so for secrecy and for authentication yeah. but the currency itself is still euro or kroner or dollars well it could be right so kind of in the case of the cryptocurrency bitcoin it's it's sort of a, a cryptographically newly generated yes uh, yeah and coin. this is now the new part Right. Yeah. So what is, what is the crypto part of cryptocurrency and what is the distributed yes. part of the trust? And the, I think these are two different things, but I'm not sure. Yes or no. So the, you have all the transactions which are kind of stored in this uh, thing called a block, right? And they're cryptographically kind of secured. That's the one part of it, right? So that these, these uh, transactions are safe and archived. And then those blocks are kind of hashed. And the, the next block which is created, which contains the next bunch of transactions, kind of has the hash value of the previous block in its newly created block, which is creating this kind of chain of blocks. So all the blocks kind of are connected with each other so that you can, could, um, if you want, uh, look into all the, tr- all the transactions at the, all the way to the very beginning, which is called the Genesis block. Uh, so there nice. is a moment of creation. More, more religion. Yes. Excellent. Yes, yeah. indeed. Right. So there is a, crea- a moment of, of creation, and you have to trust how that worked, and 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 how that was kind of uh, done. But the the all the transactions are linked to each other along this kind of hashed uh, so the value uh, and the blocks along them. Yeah. So there was a lot of information there. So let's unpack that slowly. So so uh, there are at least two analogies which I f- which are usually used to. To reason about this, one is the ledger, the distributed ledger, and the other is flies trapped in amber. But maybe we should start with the ledger. Yes. So it is. It, some people refer to it as a database we all share. A shared you database. Also, you could also, well, or a federated database, but we know how that works and how that looks like, so that's not new. Uh, some people say a computer we all share. That's getting a bit more interesting because kind of if you look into this shared database, it's not just data, but it's executable code, which is shared. So now we get going from Bitcoin to Ethereum already. We are going into something which is well. This, well, will, be a, this yeah. will be a very long well, conversation. It's, it's still Bitcoin, and it's still yeah. c- it's because kind of if you think about Bitcoin, it is it is uh, it is a smart contract, but it's one smart contract. It's one code, and this uh, the Bitcoin, which is typically also referred to as the blockchain of the first generation, is a blockchain technology which does exactly one thing, and that is Bitcoin. Right. So, and Bitcoin basically now is just a um, a mutual commitment to the fact that Alice has just given Bob one coin. Correct. So Alice writes down a piece of paper, a, a virtual piece of paper, saying, "I give Bob one coin." Yes. And she writes this down into something that we can view as a ledger. Right. So again, so for the non-native English speakers, a ledger is just a big book. 
It's a big book. It's a yeah. transaction book. A transaction right. book. That's a good word for it. Right. Good. Where we all write something down. And again, ledgers, we are used to for certain kinds of transactions. Again, this is something, since I'm not an economist, I'm on thin ice. So a horse I would normally buy by just giving you money. Yes. But property, I don't give you the money and get the key because... What is the reason for why property is handled differently? Uh, well, I think there's something to do with taxation and with in some countries it has a history in a, a kind of, of ownership and transferal. Uh, so it is a bit of a different thing. If you buy a piece of land uh, in Denmark, uh, you may want to know who's buying land in Denmark. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're buying horses or so, it's not as long-lasting, right? Kind of. So there is a reason why in some countries uh, buying property, buying real estate requires a paper form. Re requires to be rubber stamped by a notary. By s and this is by somebody else. So we can imagine... By a third party, by an a, a trusted agent. A trusted agent. Oh. So we can imagine... And, and Denmark is some kind of a first mover here because Denmark has had ledgers for property rights for a very long time. Well, that's not, not unique to, to, no, to Denmark. It's not. Right. So no, no, it's, it's not unique, but I think they were very oh. early. Um, so, so I buy property basically by, by the buyer and the seller. Um, um, opening this single book yes. and then both of them write that Alice has now sold this farm to Bob and then somebody else says yeah n now this happened and then you close the book again and basically the book contains the information about who owns what yes and that's a ledger that's the ledger so kind of let's do this step by step we, we talked about Bitcoin and the transfer of kind of money between Alice and Bob uh, this transfer can be all kind of things it can be property rights of ownership it can be ownership of money so what we're talking about now here is the idea of kind of taking the, uh, the logic from the blockchain, which is empowering Bitcoin, to the next level. And some smart people realize that actually it can help you with all kinds of other transactions outside the currency world. For example, the transfer of property rights, of ownership of your real estate. Uh, and now I, oh, I'm also into smart contracts now. And that, that, exactly. Like, yeah. So we yeah. could do yeah. yeah. let, let me, let me get, to let make me get sure that they understand what we are talking about because we're very going much. a bit forth and back here. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let me try to put some discipline on this conversation then. Uh, so so let's, let me just try to understand Bitcoin. So Alice writes a piece of paper, virtual paper, that says mm -hmm. Alice gives Bob five kroner. Mm -hmm. uh, this is then appended to this a large ledger which gets longer and longer by all the participants in the chain mm -hmm. adding these kinds of statements of transaction. Yes. No money is moved around, no pieces of paper are moved around. Every, the only information is now sort of an agreed upon transaction <laughs> hasn't happened. And of course when Alice has given away all her money, sh nobody will believe that she can give away more money. Yes. And everybody, can s everybody else can inspect the long transaction history and figure out how much money Bob now actually has yes. and how much he can right. continue spending. Now this seems like a naive idea because um, this requires some kind of uh, protocol or agreement or ritual mm -hmm. by which the people um, that have agreed on this being a good mode of transaction from time to other saying, yes, now this really happened, let's freeze the information mm -hmm. in the current state. Mm -hmm. And this is the block, right? So as soon as... That would uh, be the block. So kind of typically what I'm doing in presentations to make it as easy to understand as possible, but maybe that's still kind of a bit complicated, um, I, I use the group of people in the audience as my peer-to-peer -peer network of of computers, of owners of a ledger, and then I put a piece of paper out of my wallet, in this case, my, my one ringgit from Malaysia. Oh, beautiful. Right, and, uh, and I say kind of people in the audience, you, you imagine you all have a little black book on your, on your lap, and you witness that the one guy in the, black su in the blue suit is giving a piece of paper, he's owning this piece of paper, to the other guy, which we, and you do not know us, but you witness that there was a transfer, and in all of your black ledgers, you write down, there was a transfer from this guy to that guy. And next time when I'm saying, oh, that wasn't one ringgit, it was 50 ringgit. And all the people would look into their ledger and say, no, 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 that's not what we observed. We observed it was one ringgit. So it would be a single version of truth. It would be really difficult for me to convince, to persuade the majority of the people in the audience by bribing my way through, if you will, to say, you know, if you, if you change your record, we share a bit of 
the 50 ringgit, right? So it would require an economic effort on my side to convince the majority in the audience to change their record, which would economically not be meaningful. And that is why it is so secure. Right? If I wanted to change it, the effort I would have to spend to change the entries in all these different notebooks would be so high that you, know, you don't do that. Yeah, it has to be larger than the value Right, and it's, it's economically not meaningful to do so. That is, that is sort of the, from a game theoretical point of view, that's the strength of, of the ledger, that it is, it is theoretically possible, but practically kind of not meaningful, not, doesn't make sense. To, to, to change the entries in retrospect in those blocks, in those entries, because you would have to convince all the holders of the ledger to change their entries. And it would, would require a lot of compute capacity, which would always sort of exceed what you can gain. So what, what's left then in this analogy, that was a really useful way of thinking of it. So what's left in the analogy is then a way uh, for all these 50 ledgers to synchronize because we want everybody to basically write the same thing in their ledger. It's, see that's kind of, let's say we sit all in the same room and we observe that each other is writing the same oh, yeah. thing into your ledger. Okay. Right? And, and, and it, it is also kind of, they don't need to know our names. They've seen that I hold a, le a, a, a legit piece of token in my hand which said one ringgit. This one ringgit was obviously in my possession it moved into your wallet, now it's in your possession. They have seen that they, these two human beings exchanged something, but they don't know us, but it's not anonymous either, because those two entities have been, have been uh, observed. But I now know that I own exactly one ringgit, not so much because the piece of paper you gave me, but because I have observed 50 other people writing the same information into their ledgers. Exactly. So when I, you, and the 50 other people yes. all say, yeah, this really happened, yeah. at that point of time, at that moment, yes. I actually have the money. Right. And I don't need the piece so of paper. Exactly. So now we assume that you kind of pay with this thing uh, the next transaction. It goes on and on and on. And uh, in, in, in a day or so, after many transactions took place, I would like to try and cheat. I would like to try and make it undone. Then in the meanwhile, many, many more blocks have been created and I would have to work my way through to this kind of entry when we exchange this one ringgit and then have to re-engineer all the way back all the blocks in the meanwhile and I have to do this faster than the blocks which are in, the, in, the, in the meantime are created to convince the network that my now kind of manipulated block is the latest and accurate block. And that is computationally so intense and it would require so much faster compute capacity that this is kind of theoretically possible but practically doesn't make sense. Okay, so, the, uh, so this makes sense to me. So, so, um, so um, the, um, the algorithmic or mathematical trick here is that we now uh, frequently freeze the contents of the already written pages of everybody's little black book. Yes. And this we do by basically a digital signature, which is a well-known artifact of, uh, of modern uh, cryptology called a, called a one-way function. So uh, let's just take that on face value. There are functions that are easy to compute in one direction, but very hard to compute in the other direction. And a, 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 a cute image I found for this was basically uh, uh, flies trapped in amber. So, so we already know in nature a beautiful example that, that you can maintain states uh, because flies, if you coat them in, in sap, the liquid in trees, and then wait for a few million years, then the fly is trapped in amber, but you can spill in, still inspect the fly, but changing the fly is very, very hard. And this process we could uh, iterate, so we could take one fly, trap it in amber, and then we could squash another fly onto that, trap that thing in amber, and we would have larger and larger blocks of amber where we can see the state of the flies, of the various flies trapped in here. So the analogy breaks down here because amber should be perfectly transparent yes. and the flies should have small numbers attached to them. Um, so this, this example here is sort of how, how the blockchain for Bitcoin and Ether works right now. It's a computationally intense process to, in, to ensure this consensus mechanism across, to stick to this analogy, across these 50 ledger holders keeping their black books in their hands. Um, what are the correct numbers here? It's not 50, it's what, millions? Or how many people? 
Uh, I think kind of currently the the number, but it's kind of changing and it's increasing, is kind of more than one million servers. Okay. Right? But it's really difficult to, to, to estimate. Of Most of these servers are currently located in China. There are different kind of highly specialized hardware. And what's one this server and so, and so on. on. I just it's wanted exactly. to get some kind of idea that it's not right. 50 people in a room. Yes, hmm? No. But it's kind of, it's, it's, it's more than you kind of typically could convince to change their opinion. Right? So it needs to be a large enough number Yes. Of, of servers, of people, right? If, if we say this ledger is distributed across the three of us, mm. right, it may be easier, right. it may be easy to kind of change the opinion of two. And, and this is another of the great intellectual breakthroughs of computer science, these protocols for so-called Byzantine agreement, mm. that there are ways for many different people yes. to basically agree in, in a yes. clever fashion. Right. That's an entire conversation, another podcast right. conversation that we need later with. Yes. So, uh, so there's, there's this consensus mechanism is called of proof of work because you have to do a lot of kind of compute intense calculations in order to make it secure and this kind of burns a lot of energy, energy is costly and in order to redo this kind of calculation you would have to burn a lot of extra energy which is too expensive. Right, to so the, the very fact that this uh, distributed mechanism which we could call the blockchain computer which is not a single computer yes but the very fact that this computational process is if inefficient builds the trust the, the fact that a lot of energy went into the creation of the block yes. in the first place yes. it makes it's it kind of economically uh, yeah. Yeah. not attractive to do the work again right. but it's 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 beautiful right it's a it's an efficiency trust trade off right if you yes. made this more efficient then you would trust the system it's less scalability and security are two things yes. which are really difficult to achieve simultaneously yes right exactly, exactly. very nice right and that mm -hmm. is the reason why kind of uh, bitcoin if you wanted to criticize bitcoin and the bitcoin blockchain it takes a lot of time and energy to create uh, a new block there's a block time and a block size and if you would like to wait at the supermarket cashier for kind of getting your transaction settled because you just paid with Bitcoin, you may have to work uh, to wait up to 12 minutes oh, or yeah. so. <laughs> so that is, uh, and here you see it's not really practical to do that. No. No. Uh, but that these are but things which are uh, tackled and worked on by uh, subsequent generations of blockchain technologies which work on the scalability, uh, but you have to sacrifice in, in most cases you have to sacrifice kind of the security part. That means that you have to kind of um, use a different consensus mechanism that is not proof of work, which requires this uh, uh, compute intense, energy intense calculation, but other versions which are quicker, also very safe, but not as safe as the computational intense mm -hmm. proof of work. But I th so th that th is still sort of the gold standard, if you will, if yeah. you need kind of really secure systems, uh, you have to pay a price in terms of energy and in terms of waiting for kind of getting this calculated if kind of 99.9% security is good enough or 99.8% of security is good enough, you, you, you go for another consensus mechanism. I guess that depends on the domain or the application. Exactly. And it's, it's quite possible that this, this technology is, what, 10 years old? That, yep. that, that we will have a whole family of different blockchain technologies. Exactly. So proof of work is, is maybe the third of the uh, deep, clever ideas from computer science that goes into this, next to uh, one-way functions or digital signatures. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a bunch of crypto in here. So, so proof of work, interesting. That goes back to the 90s, I think, mm -hmm. by by Cynthia Dwork and Moni Nao. Mm -hmm. And that was invented to prevent spam. So that mm -hmm. was the idea. There was just to make. So in the early 90s, uh, the, the the what the biggest fear of computing seemed to be yeah. email spam. And, and people uh, did serious work in trying to, to, to prevent yeah. that. And one way one could do that was sending, making sending email really, really expensive. So the proof of work concept, the idea that to send an email, you should actually have burned off some clock cycles in order to make it costly, should increase the price of sending email, thereby reducing uh, unsolicited exactly. email called spam. So all the elements which went into the blockchain idea are actually well-known kind of concepts. Well, well-known to computer science. Well, well-known well there, there, there so I guess my, the reason I like this is that there are real deep intellectual breakthroughs that, that, that our uh, discipline has, has created, often for a different application, right. like email spam. Mm -hmm. And by combining these, uh, you have exactly. maybe civilization changing, yes. uh, reconceptualization of trust. Yeah. The elements combined are more than the sum of the elements, right? So now you have something like blockchain, which is allowing you to enter a field. And we started the discussion with kind of talking about trust. 
uh, I think kind of none of us would have thought that kind of technology would ever be able to handle elements of interpersonal uh, trust-based things. And now we have a, a situation where uh, a technology can uh, provide certainty, can provide transparency, can be if you are literate, if you make yourself familiar with how to read the blockchain, you can go there and you can see what's going on rather than trusting, believing that what we have agreed upon is kind of done, right? So, so you, you can open the black, the black box if you are able, if you are IT savvy enough to read it. That's of course a given, but it's a bit like kind of with uh, being able to read and write in the analog world, right? So if you, you, you have to be able to kind of have these kind of uh, societal techniques to interact in the society and uh, computer science knowledge is something which is becoming the, the next, the, the, the foreign language which we also, like English, right? If you're not a native speaker in English, if you wanted to communicate, better learn the language. And if you wanted to be kind of uh, uh, acting in the digital sphere, better make yourself familiar with how this works. So for instance, contract law might at least in part move from the from legalese, which is its own language, yes. into, into well, that is a different, uh, algorithmic language? It's a very interesting question because uh, the debate around is code the new law yeah, is something which uh, is, is uh, frightening and amusing lawyers alike, right? So, okay, because oh, from absolutely. a legal point of view, uh, there is only law and nothing else. But if you look a bit deeper into this, uh, uh, coding lawyers, lawyers who understand IT and of course their own business, they understand that uh, because of what the affordance of technology, the, the characteristics of new technology, also the requirements on, on the legal system is changing and needs to be adapted. Mm -hmm. And obviously right now what is in the discussion everywhere is the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, the new kind of privacy law which is enforced by the European Union, which uh, uh, allows citizens to request that their private information, private data is deleted once a commercial transaction is over. And the debate right now is uh, if this data has been stored on a blockchain and as we just kind of settled the fact oh. you can't oh. delete information from the blockchain, <laughs> oh, uh, is, nice. does that mean that blockchain is illegal in the EU? Right? So to make a long discussion short. So what can go into a blockchain if it's private data, let's say you are, you are selling, you're buying something on the internet, that transaction is settled on a blockchain, you say well fine I got my book, uh, I will never ever go back to this store and you, you now have the right to go to this store owner and say, please delete all my private data. It will be really difficult if that data, that transaction took place on a blockchain. What a beautifully complicated aspect to this. Yes. So, mm -hmm. an, a, a law which initially was well intended to protect the privacy and give you back control over your digital persona as a citizen in the EU is firing back because nobody for, have, has been able to foresee that there may be a technology which is hard to, to penetrate, it's, 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 it's sort of immutable, and that this is guaranteeing a single version of truth, but it comes with a price of transparency, and that transparency can't be made undone once it has been, has been entered into the blockchain. By construction, you can't fix that without destroying right. the product. And it, that leads to really interesting discussions. Uh, for example, uh, a dynamic IP address, if you are somewhere in a cafe and you kind of lock into the Wi-Fi system, huh? you, prop you get a dynamic IP address for your machine. For a long time, that was not regarded as private data. But as we now know, it could be by triangulating it with other data, could be related to a single person. If you do this frequently, you, you, there's a certain pattern, so you can identify ultimately well, there is a person behind that, even though this dynamic IP address has been randomly kind of assigned to you. So the European Court of uh, Justice in Luxembourg declared, now that it is private information. So, and that is sort of the, the example which is worrying a lot of people and, and companies, because even if you think the data you have stored on the blockchain is not private information, there could be a point in time in the future where we figure out, hmm, or the European Court of Justice says this is private information and then you can't make it undone. Huh. Like the uh, dynamic IP address. Which is just a random number. But Which it's is mine. just a random number. Very nice. Okay, yeah, so uh, the, uh, the uh, data protection law is, is, uh, will hopefully also be a topic for some later conversation in, in this very forum.
you mentioned privacy, so, so uh, let me approach this entire topic from a different um, angle again. So sometimes when I evangelize about a digital society or bits, I, I explain that to understand the way that uh, digital technology transforms society, you need to understand the properties of bits, as, as, so digital information, as compared to old-fashioned information such as books. And I have these one, two, three things. So uh, the first aspect of bits you need to understand is that they can be cheaply stored, the second is they can be quickly moved, and the third is that they can be uh, copied without loss of information, without loss of information quality, right? As as opposed to so this uh, killed a large part of the music business because in the olden days we could make uh, uh, music tape copies from other music tapes, but the information deteriorated. But now since it's stored in bits, I can make as many copies as I want. Uh, from uh, from a piece of music and uh, and I can't hear that nobody can hear the difference because because the because the information has been perfectly copied. Now these three aspects. Uh, so let's map them onto money. Uh, so cheap storage, great. That's what we want for money. Uh, a very quick uh, movement of 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 money would also is also great. The problem is, of course, that bits are sort of the opposite of, of a scarce resource. You can just copy them as much as you want. So, so I've been evangelizing about these three, this, this trinity of understanding uh, digital information. Yes. But the amazing thing now is that the blockchain killed this because the blockchain can be cheaply stored, quickly transformed, but it can't be copied. Yes, because the, well, the, the tokens on the, the blockchain, which, yes, uh, which represent some intellectual property or some digital rights can't be copied. Yes, yeah. so let's well, try to, to th that was a yes. very good formulation, so yes. better than mine, which was something like that, uh, that of course the, the ledger can be copied as, mm -hmm. the, the ledger is public record, everybody mm -hmm. can see the ledger yes. on the internet, yes. um, but uh, there is only one authoritative copy of, I mean, there are many copies of the same information, but yes. we all agree on who owns the information. Yes. So theoretically it is already today that you are the owner of all your data. But we all know at the same time that in order to participate in the digital modern world where we walk and talk, we drop data, right? We use our mobile phones, we use our credit cards, we are surfing on the internet and we are leaving kind of digital traces everywhere and we can't control our digital traces. Uh, it is some sort of uh, common wisdom that, you know, you, you pay with your data and we sort of accept that notion because there was no way of kind of changing that. Now, now you can imagine that there is a world, if you design it like that, where you never lose data because you never give your data away. Right? You, you keep your data, your data, you own it anyway, and you only give access to the data uh, for a certain transaction. And when that transaction is over, you, you kind of make it, you, you, you un, ungrant access to your data. Uh, uh, one example would be, uh, your health record is made available to a certain kind of medical doctor for a certain treatment. Once that is over, that doctor is not, does not have to have access to your medical record. You, you make this kind of access for this person undone and that person has no access to your data anymore. You never gave it away. Um, that is a very powerful concept. Uh, you could also think about... How do we build that? Well, uh, i give you an example, kind of. Um, if, you, if you buy, uh, going back to this book buying example, if you buy a book online, um, then the online shop owner wants to get money and wants to ship the book. Not really much more. Right now, you have to give the address, you have your, the payment details, the bank account, you know, all this information in order to make it happen. Like credit card numbers your credit card number. The only thing which actually this bookseller really needs is it's, it's a person, the person exists, the person is solvent, and I get my money. So right now you have to give a lot more information to this online uh, or any kind of shop owner in order to get this book. Now assume if, if you, this uh, shop owner gets a hash and the system is guaranteeing behind that hash is a real person living in Denmark the person has, has a bank account and you will get your money because this is an escrow service and the money is in the system already. We need to explain hash, I think. 
Oh, we need, I need to it pretend is, that I don't know what a hand is. It is kind of a string which represents you, and as you said, kind of you, it is really difficult to kind of get back to the underlying data. It's, it's one way, linear kind of way of kind of computing data. But it is, it is made clear that behind this kind of string of, informa this of, of figures, um, there is a real person. It's a digital fingerprint uh, committing to the very well veracity put. of the information. Very well put. Yes, exactly. So kind of, let's say, well, you, we get this information. Somebody is buying a book. I know I get my money because this is what the system is actually providing to me. So I give the book to DHL, the shipping company, which is kind of shipping the book. So in the very same system, DHL needs to know where to ship the book. Uh, mm -hmm. The online shop provider not necessarily need my address. So that information was never revealed to the online shop owner. I ideally, but it is re ideally ide would not have been real, yes. As mm -hmm. I said, it depends mm -hmm. on how you design yeah. the system. Yeah. But now with the blockchain uh, solution, you could design systems like that, where you sort of re-engineer the su whole supply chain. Now going a bit on a more generic level, you re-engineer the supply chain, and each player in this supply chain in this simple example of kind of buying a book online, gets exactly the information that that stakeholder needs, this this supply chain stage needs, and that is changing supply chains as we we know them. Right. So because now you could say no, Amazon and and all the other online shop providers do not necessarily need my bank account details. They, they, but they can be certain that they get a payment. But right now they know I have a MasterCard, they have my MasterCard number, that's not necessary. So you're saying this, this promise of a change of supply chains is actually currently being implemented? This is not... What I'm, what, what I'm saying is kind of, if you think about a blockchain-powered supply chain, it would not just be a digital representation of the current supply chain, it could be kind of re-engineered in a way that you are not kind of... Um, uh, providing all information to all tiers in the supply chain. And that is something which is made possible by the technology and that was not in the same way possible in the past. And that is changing supply chain management uh, in a very significant way. And it is. I mean, it, this is not only potentially changing supply chain management, but... There are in initiatives and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, industries which are looking into this right now. The question, of course, is where is the interest? Right, uh, going back to this online shop, uh, uh, of course you would like to know with whom you are dealing with because this allows you uh, to do a lot of kind of data analytics, pattern recognition. You know, you know if you have the the zip code of the person, you know it's a wealthy region, it's a poor region. So but right data now is valuable. So that's what I'm saying. We are right now we are paying with our data. Yeah. Okay. And and we don't know how much our data actually is value. What's the value of our data? in the future we could kind of decide, we, I'm happy to pay for this transaction, but not with my data. I, I pay real money, but I do not reveal to you which kind of person, real person I am. If you look at kind of Facebook and all the other social media platforms, how much do you pay for your Facebook account? From my Facebook account, nothing. Well, no money. Yeah, exactly. No money, right. but of course I, I, I right. pay by my participation. Obviously, uh, that yes. what, that's what yes. I was fishing for, yes. right? So, yes. of course we pay. Right? Yes. We pay. We don't know how much we pay because we don't know how valuable our profile is for Facebook. Uh, I, I own that meme in Sweden. So, there's some, uh, some Swedish internet forum that quotes me for having introduced the idea that if you're not paying, you're not the customer, you're the product. <laughs> it's of course, it doesn't go back to me, but I'm, I'm very happy that somewhere on the See? internet you can find that phrase as, uh, associated with right. me. So, and let's imagine there is a solution in the future which is something like Facebook, but now it's blockchain powered. Uh, meaning that you are in control of your data. And of course somebody, let's say, is providing the service to you and you may have the option now, you go either for Facebook Classic <laughs> and you pay with your data, or you oh. go for Facebook on blockchain and you say, I'm happy to pay on a monthly fee for being a member in that network but mm -hmm. I'm not paying with my mm -hmm. data. See, I'm not saying that this is superior to the other one. What I'm saying is now we have the option mm -hmm. and the market will decide, the customer will decide what he or she is going for. And that is the powerful concept. And that is also the powerful concept of Bitcoin. You can like it or not, but now there is an alternative. Right? There's an alternative to fiat money, to the euro or to the kroner. 
and that alternative did not exist beforehand. Mm -hmm. And is that better? Is that something which we will see more often used in the future? We will see. But at least there is an, there is an option now out there and for many countries, maybe not in Denmark or in, in, in OECD developed countries, but in many countries where the inflation rate is high, where there is a civil war, uh, where uh, um, the, the financial market is highly restricted, this is a real alternative to store and transfer your 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 money. Right? But, but I guess even for Denmark, it's in, we are one kilometer away, I guess, from the headquarters of Maersk, one of the largest container shipping That's companies. A bit more, yes, it's certainly yeah, but it's yeah, in yeah, Copenhagen. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, um, so they, I guess, have supply chains that cross a lot of international. Uh, uh, boundaries, contract law, traditions, uh, currencies and so on. So that's an enormous part of the... If you look into international trade and you look into the different actors on international trade, uh, Maersk is a very big uh, actor in, in, in the container shipping and facilitating of goods transfer. Um, those companies also have to handle the related information flows. And if you look into container shipping from Shanghai to, to Rotterdam or so, uh, the, the accompanying information is uh, stored in something that is called bill of lading. So what's in the container, if you lading. will? Bill of lading, yeah. Mm -hmm. Bill of lading. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of according to Maersk, uh, managing and, and, and organizing the, 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 the paper trail, which is currently a paper-based process, the bill of lading, managing that is more costly than shipping the container. Now, kind of obviously, as someone here working at an IT university, you would say, well, isn't there an, a system yeah, yeah, for yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. Can't, give me, give me one afternoon, I can write this up. Why can't we do this in a digital, digital manner? Well, on average, there are kind of 100 different stakeholders involved in this, in this shipping of the container because Customs, there's a lawyer forward, in Singapore uh, and a harbor master in Rotterdam. And exactly, mm -hmm. right? So, and they all have at some point have to have a look or have to have a piece of paper in, in, the, in their hands and kind of making sure that this piece of paper is not kind of ending up in the wrong hands because it's also the proof that the container is yours. If you produce this piece of paper, the container is yours. So this management of this kind of document, which is currently a physical document, is extremely expensive. And that is something which could be easily put on a blockchain where you see, again, each kind of tier in the supply chain gets the, the, the data view, the customs, what they need to see, the forward fighter, what they need to see. And at the same time, the integrity of the document is secured at all time, rather than that you kind of may lose it. Right? So it's a perfect example. Uh, typically, a blockchain solution makes a lot of sense to optimize or to improve inter-organizational systems, processes where a lot of stakeholders depend upon, but nobody owns the process. So typically between nations or between uh, so traditions of uh, Documents trade. which mm -hmm. cross kind of several uh, tiers, several kind of stakeholders in the supply chain would be, would be a, a, an example for oh, because, that. Okay, again, this allows us to, move, to remove trust from the traditional uh, bubbles of trust it, it, Am I, I've been being too evangelical about this now. I'm, I'm careful with the use of trust. Uh, I, I, I would rather prefer to say it, it provides certainty. And this kind of heightened level of certainty may radiate trust mm -hmm. oh, as okay. a as, uh, as, uh, base of trust, right? Certainty, visibility, now I can believe or I see it works, I trust the system. But it is giving you a heightened uh, level of certainty in the system. And as you mentioned, there's a potential for a reduced level of, uh, of mutual transparency or something that, that I may, may be more able to control what kind of information I'm, I'm opening up. And actually going back to this example of Smirsk, Maersk and IBM are working actually on such a solution. They created a joint venture, which is going to be placed in New York. And uh, since this is something which is going beyond a single institution, a single company like Maersk, it is an industry standard, if you will. It's an industry solution, a process optimization across different stakeholders. Uh, the uh, plan or the aim is, as far as I know, uh, to roll it out as an industry standard in the whole kind of container shipping industry, 
because it's not just something Maersk is benefiting from, but all, all the competitors in the horizontal and vertical supply chain, the whole supply chain is benefiting from that. That is the beauty of blockchain. It's kind of creating something which you could refer to as a public good. Everybody can benefit from that, but it's not owned by a single entity, which makes it so difficult to understand or to think about that because typically when we talk about business models, we talk about business models who create, which create a private good, a service or a product that I can sell. What blockchain is providing, blockchain is providing an opportunity to create public goods like currency, like money. Right? which is typically something you as an institution, as a single person, can't really provide. Because if you would create your tour uh, coin, yeah, yeah. try it, try to find someone to convince I, I that this is... I can give you an initial coin offering of that. Exactly, yeah. right. So, so it's something where we typically, there is a, what is kind of called a market failure. There is, there is not enough, enough provisioning from the private market of certain goods because that's, that's not what you can provide. And it's public goods and typically the government or trusted agents like the central bank stepping in and they provide that for us. So now with blockchain technology, such a service, such a good can be provided by a peer-to-peer -peer network. So now we can think of business models where you create a public good and you have a revenue model underneath. And that is radically new. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's some kind of, let's say, Maersk is rolling out that bill of lading. The bill of lading is not something Maersk is owning, but it's kind of significantly benefiting from a digital version of the bill of lading, but thereby it's improving the whole market. So why would you do that? And how would you roll out that? And how would you benefit from doing so uh, if you're improving the whole market, not just your own operation? That's, that's a very interesting kind of uh, challenge for a lot of industries. Uh, why would you do that? If, if you don't increase your competitive advantage, but you are, you are in improving the efficiency of the whole industry. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, certainly the, 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 the promise or the potential here seems to be huge. Uh, can we maybe just briefly touch on potential problems, certainly short-term problems? Because, uh, for instance, so... Cryptocurrencies seem to be uh, super popular in a certain part of the population. Um, libertarian nerds. Um, uh, and another part of the population views, the, views it with extreme distaste. I guess probably for reasons of taxation. Right? That it's very, very hard to tax. Well, well, there are many things kind of so far we talked about the merits and the potential benefits of blockchain and and all the promises, right? So if you look at the downside and kind of the, the, the challenges which are still kind of not all addressed, uh, you could say that cryptocurrencies, since they are really hard to regulate and hard to control, are uh, the, the, the pet currency of criminals, right? So it's kind of something where a lot of right, criminal crimin activities... Criminals and nerds are currently the ones Criminals and nerds, yes, right, yes. so kind of use this intensely mm. and, and, and that is, of course, not something which we, we would like to endorse. Um, also, the already mentioned consensus mechanism, as it is burning a lot of energy, typically what is uh, kind of used as a reference is all of the energy consumption of Denmark or Ireland is required to run the Bitcoin network. So the whole consumption of this country so that goes that sounds into like a lot, but I have no idea what a normal currency takes. I, 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 I think it's... it's uh, uh, S seven gigawatt. Uh, so it's 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 a. Uh, if I get these 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 dimensions yeah. straight, yeah, that, I mean, it's a lot. It sounds terrible, but, but, but gold, so gold is not for free as well either. Or, see, or that's diamonds. that's that's an interesting uh, comment because kind of people say, oh, you know, they the the kind of a single transaction kind of buying something with Bitcoin is burning so much energy compared to a transaction using your credit card, which is kind of less than, than a percent of uh -huh. the same kind of energy uh -huh. consumption. Yes, but that, that comparison is not actually a valid one because if you compare the direct energy consumption of providing a whole financial system versus one transaction which is created by, by Visa, right? Yeah. it would be something like how much is the national bank burning, how much is are the commercial, all the commercial banks burning, you know, you, you have to put all the energy consumption of the, whole, of the f full financial sector and then you have to divide it yep. by the transactions. Yeah. So, Still, that's, yeah. so then we would have a more accurate number. Right. But indeed, kind of going to the downsides and talking about the downsides of, of blockchain, it's creating uh, an energy problem. It's not sustainable. That's the reason why 
other kind of uh, proof mechanisms are, are looked into, proof right. of stake, proof of brain, right? There are other ways of kind of making proof this. Proof of brain, proof excellent. Of brain. Okay, yeah. Proof of stake, I knew about, about proof of brain. Proof of yeah, brain, so there, yeah. there are some pretty well-defined algorithmic right. problems that would allow right. these kind of technologies to run right. in a much more energy efficient way, and this exactly. seems to be a, a priority of the highest yeah. order right now. Yes. Uh, we also looked into already uh, and discussed uh, legal considerations. Um, is, a is a smart contract, a transaction which is executed on, on a blockchain, is this actually a contract in a legal term? term? Is this a legal contract? So, um, how do we... Oh, oh right, right, because so, so, so on, on, the, on the Bitcoin, I can, uh, all Alice can do is just to write that Alice gives five kroner to Bob. Yes. But on a more uh, uh, on a more flexible blockchain such as Ethereum, Alice could say Alice Bob promises to do the dishes yes. if Manchester United loses by three nil, or something like that. But you could you Very could, nice you example could exactly. You could come up with some business logic or kind of transaction logic. You can put it into code and you can put it on the blockchain. And the blockchain is making sure that if those conditions are fulfilled, kind of then I'm paying. Then I'm. I'm required to w make the dishes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so, that's so these are contracts. These are it's, it's called smart contracts, which is probably an unfortunate term, but that's the term which is used. Kind of many people argue that they are neither smart nor they are contracts. Oh. <laughs> um, but sort of that's the, that's the term which is commonly used. So we, we stick to it. Smart contracts and those smart contracts are nothing else but executable code, which if you come up with beautifully coded code, it runs as, as intended, but as we all know, human beings make errors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can and, and this software is a huge is security hole, yeah, yeah, of course. Software mm. is, not, is not perfect, because human beings are not perfect. So um, we see that kind of smart contracts are executed and are executable, but they're not in the intended way. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's Turing complete, right? Uh, or isn't it's it? Turing yes, complete. Yeah, so I can basically write anything. Right. I could run Angry Birds right. on Ethereum. Yes. But if, mm. you, if you make a mistake and there are certain loops when, uh, which you can kind of execute and execute again and again oh, and again, wonderful. Uh, then that was not intended mm -hmm. but possible. Mm -hmm. So is this still kind of, is this a legal contract? Right? Oh. So if you say, oh, that wasn't what I wanted, but, but that is how it co was coded. Uh, is that oh, is, nice. is is yeah. code law, or can you okay. still go to a court and say no? That was not what I was intending. That was not the intention in the first place. So that is a discussion you you can have with with, with Lawrence Lessig, who invented the meme of code being law, professor at Harvard. Yeah, mm -hmm. with kind of the colleagues here from IT, with an IT law angle, uh, looking into kind of the the legal considerations of these systems. Yeah, maybe like that's a good way to end this. So so your your center here investigates, I guess, so this is, there's a lot in here, computer security, yes. algorithms, uh, crypto, finance, law. Right. We talked about societal implications, we talked about social media, right? If you look about blockchain, oh, yeah. we, we, sometimes we talk about the blockchain economy, but you can also talk about the blockchain world, right? So in, at some point, blockchain will be in the fabric of our digital systems, one way or the other, in the back end, in the front end systems we, which we are using, but we don't know that somewhere underneath there is a blockchain operation ongoing. Because very concretely, Facebook 2.0 might run on blockchain or something. Hmm? Yes, right. So, And uh, that's one of the reasons why the European Blockchain Center is not just um, an institution which is located at ITU, but also incorporates CBS and KU, Copenhagen University, mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that from an organizational point of view, from a legal point of view, from a computer science point of view, from an information systems point of view, and also from a critical thinking point of view, which we hopefully share all, mm -hmm. kind of we look for, uh, at blockchain, develop use cases, their legal, legally sound implica uh, implementation, but also how to develop the blockchain of the next generation. Let's say what, what, what are kind of meaningful consensus mechanisms, the linearity of those blocks, the sequence right now, is that, an, is that an, a necessity or can we think of non-linear systems? Block in trees? Block graphs, block exactly tags. right. So there are all kinds of areas: application of blockchain, development of blockchain as as a technology, legal implications, how society reacts on that, how society is changing. Uh, we talk about uh, technological determinism, right? So if we have these systems in place, they will dictate how we have to behave, right? So if if there is a system which is empowering uh, autonomous cars and vehicles, and we are sitting in these cars 
and the, the, the cars make decisions how to cross the crossing and uh, the cars communicate among themselves on a blockchain platform, we have not only to trust this system, but we have also to, be to believe in the system. So it's turning a socio-technical system into a techno-social system. The socio-technical system is a system which is designed by us and the, the system is kind of uh, acting accordingly. A techno-social system is a technical system which is out there and we have to adjust and adapt to it. And if we have autonomous systems and then we combine them with artificial intelligence and they make their own decisions, how do we as a society react to that? It's a very important question and we have to figure out what we want, what is societally acceptable, uh, how these systems should look like, uh, uh, how those systems uh, uh, reflect our values, our norms and therefore it is a rather holistic thing which requires a multidisciplinary uh, uh, inter-organizational uh, collaboration to completely grasp this phenomena blockchain. We might not even agree on what those norms are. Right? So. Yes, but I think kind of commonly you could say there is something, we have a legal system in, in Denmark, we have a common value set maybe in Europe, but that may be different to the value system uh, to some countries in Asia or some countries in the Americas. So, if we talk about... The boundary problem here is already hard, right? How, when yes. Yeah. Well, complex systems, right? Yeah, so, kind of nice. define the boundaries of the system. Okay. <laughs> Spectacular. So, thank you for ending this. Thank uh, you for having um, me. Amazing. Um, and thank you all for listening. Bye. Thanks a lot.